Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. For your grace and your mercy poured out through your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that there's more than this life to look forward to. We have eternity in the presence of our King. Through the blood shed, through the body broken on our behalf, through the cross. Father, I pray for every heart, every soul in this room, that our ears would be open to what you would have to say today. That the veil of our hearts would be lifted, Father, that you might see into us and We know you can, but that we might see ourselves for ourselves and recognize our need for you. I pray, Father, that you would just descend upon this place. God, guide us through your word. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been studying the Gospel of Mark for a few weeks now, working our way from chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the whole Gospel. And it's the story of Jesus uh, from the perspective of the of the disciple Mark. Uh, Peter probably knew him well, and in many ways this book was influenced by the things Peter saw and said and did. And so uh, we are getting to kind of hear that. And Mark writes his gospel with the intent of showing that Jesus came not only as a king, that's kind of what Matthew shows, but more along the lines of Jesus came as a servant. He came to serve us in that he came to make a way that we might have life. And, and so the Gospel of Mark is kind of action-packed. It's almost like the comic book version. And uh, it's, it's just thing upon, it's action upon action, more so than words upon words. And, and so it's a, a joy to get to go through this. And, and we're going to hear a story today that if you've read through the Gospels, you've probably read this story once or twice. It's, it's in most of the Gospels, and uh, it's a story that's familiar for those of us that come to church, but it's so um, powerful. And so just picking it up, we're going to read Mark chapter 2, verse 1. It says again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them, And then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And when some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you? Or say, arise, take up your bed and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. 
Immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Jesus has a habit of doing that. (laughs) Seeing things. I'm sorry, I'm going to grab a stool real quick. I'm getting older. (laughs) And half of you say, yeah, whatever. I know. I've been battling. I had my first episode of gout. And uh, it still hurts my foot. So I'm going to sit. That's all right with you. Even if it's not. (laughs) So we roll up on this story, and I just want to talk about this story today and, and <clears throat> kind of parse it apart and, and, and just look at it. Um, and, the, and the first thing I want to note is what he says to the paralytic in verse 5. Jesus looks at him and says, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And the first thing I want to make sure that we all know in this room, and I think a lot of us do, is that Jesus can forgive sins. Jesus can forgive sins. It's something that is, why is this so important that we know? Well, because it's the center of our faith. It's, it's what everything of Christianity is, revolves around. This, this is the most important aspect of what we believe. It's the fact that Jesus can forgive sins. What a strange situation that he found himself in. A strange setting, right? After, after he had been out for some days, and we read at the end of Mark chapter 1, uh, he prayed to the Father, and the Father led him out into the various towns there about the, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he had a thriving thing going on there in Capernaum. Uh, everybody was showing up at Peter's house, you know, and, and Peter's wife was like, what are you doing on my lawn? You know, and, and, and so... So Jesus rises up early in the morning, he prays, and he says, I think the Lord would have me go in a different direction. I think the Father would lead me to these smaller towns. And so he goes and spends some time ministering, sharing the gospel in these smaller towns. We don't know how long he was gone, but through the story, the Lord leads him back to Capernaum. And it says there in verse 1, back to the house. Now, we don't know what house this is, but the only house we've read about so far in Mark is Peter's house right? After, the, after synagogue in Mark chapter 1, Jesus went back to Peter and Simon's house. And so evidently that's where he goes back to again. Peter says, hey, we're in town. Let's go to my house. And Jesus is like, okay, well, let's go. And then all of a sudden people start showing up. First one by one, a straggler here, a straggler there. Next thing you know, they're starting to press in a little bit and Jesus kind of has to move back in the room. And then all of a sudden there's people, wall-to-wall people, Shoulder to shoulder, so much so that the, 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 it fills this little house. And, and then as that fills up and the, the, the temperature of the room rises and the body odor begins to, everybody starts to recognize the body odor. Even, even people outside are pressing in, wanting to get close to Jesus. And in that moment, it's really cool to note what Jesus does. He stops for a time healing people right? As, as, as the room is filled with people and people are pressed in, what do we see Jesus first doing? Well, it says it there in verse 2, uh, immediately many gathered so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Jesus knows that 
more than a, a physical healing, these people need something greater. These people need a, a deeper touch than just even a physical healing. And he's teaching them the word. Well, he's doing what he said that he was going to do. As he came out of the desert, after facing the temptations there in the desert, he began his public ministry around the same time that we're studying this story in Mark chapter 2. He says in Luke chapter 4, this is Jesus speaking. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus declares his public ministry is to bring the good news. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And that's exactly what we find him doing now that he has a crowd uh, paying attention to him. He's from the Old Testament, from the, the scriptures of the Old Testament, he's, he's drawing forth and drawing their attention to the fact that Israel had been waiting for a Savior, and then he's taking the next step and saying, I'm the Savior you've been waiting for. And I want us to understand, Jesus can forgive sins. Do you understand that? Do you understand, what, first of all, what a sin is? God has a standard. God has set a level, a mark to say, this is what I demand. If you want to be in my presence for all of eternity, this is, the, this is what I expect of you. And what we do in society and what the world commonly does is says, if I'm better than most people, I'll be, get into heaven. If I'm you know, 51% or higher as far as the goodness level goes, I've got it. But that's not the standard Christ set. That's not the standard God set. The standard he set in order to make it into heaven is perfection. Yeah. Without sin. The word sin means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. As they would draw back the bow with the arrow, and if the arrow had been misproperly aimed and it wasn't even going to hit the target, they would yell the word sin because they had missed the mark. The mark that, that Jesus has set, the mark that God the Father has set to enter into his presence is perfection. Let's think about that for a minute. Why is it perfection and not something more attainable? Well, the reason is, is because it's heaven. And heaven is a perfect place because God the Father is there. Jesus is there. And Jesus and God are perfect. And if he were to let imperfection into the perfect place, that would make the perfect place imperfect. You tracking? Right? To allow sin into his presence is to take what he is holy and make it tarnished, to make it faulted. And so... By his righteousness, by his holiness, he simply cannot permit sin into his presence because that would make heaven less than heaven. It would make it imperfect. And so rightly, we've all sinned and we've all missed the mark of perfection. I know I certainly have. I've done it this morning. So we rightly deserve separation from him. We rightly deserve wrath poured out by a holy God. But in his love for us, in, in the fact that he wants more than just a, a temporary relationship with us, an earthly relationship with us, he, would, he wants to be intimate with us for all of eternity. In that love for us, he reaches out to us and takes his son Jesus and sacrifices him. 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Through the perfect sacrifice of Christ's sinless life, you and I can attain the presence of God, with him, be with him for all of eternity. When we place our faith in him, when we, when we declare that he is our savior and he is our Lord, there's this great exchange that happens. And what Christ does is he, he recognizes that, that statement of faith and he takes our fault. He takes our sin. He takes our shame. He takes all that we can bring to the table, our wretchedness, and exchanges it for his perfection, for his holiness, for his righteousness. He says, I'll absorb your, your wrath on the cross, the wrath that you deserve, and I'll exchange that for my righteousness so that someday when you and I stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords, the righteous judge, the one who sits on the throne, as we stand there before him and he says, what have you done that you deserve to get into heaven? And you and I are going to say, there's, no, there's nothing I've done. I don't deserve to be here. Send me to hell. In that moment, when, when we're ready to make that step, Jesus is going to come along our side, our righteous defender, our advocate, and say, no, I've bought this one, Father, with my blood. I've exchanged his wrath, her wrath, with my righteousness. And this man, this woman, is made pure and made whole because of my blood. And so then the Father will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Come and spend all of eternity with me. And it's never based on anything that we have done. It's based on what Christ has done for us. Jesus can and does forgive sins. And whether you've heard that a thousand times in the gospel presentation and you accepted Christ a long time ago, or if this is the first time you're hearing it and it's starting to make sense to you, we all come to the place where we need to say thank you, Father. In this month of November, the month of Thanksgiving, I think this morning, the 14th, 15th, the something of November, that we should come with thankful hearts and say, Jesus, thank you that you can forgive sins. I like to put myself in the story. Consider for a moment how things shook out that day as they gathered in the house, as the temperature of the room was rising because it was filled with bodies. I wonder how much room Jesus had in front of him, right? How close did they press in? Well, we know that they were, they were far enough away, or at least they might have moved back, that they could drop the mat in front of Jesus through the, the roof, right? Think about that. As you're sitting there listening to Jesus teach, and all of a sudden, you hear something, right? It's pretty quiet for the most part, a cough here, a sniffle there, somebody snoring in the back, that kind of stuff. And, and, and all of a sudden, is that Donner, Blitzen, Vixen, <laughs> right? Is, that, is somebody on the rooftop? What's, and they hear the, the steps of, of feet. And not just one person, it sounds like multiple people. What did Jesus do in that moment? Did he keep teaching? Did he pause for a second to see what's happening? We, we don't know the details of that story, but I wonder. And then all of a sudden you hear, all right, tear it up. And, 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 and they, start to, they start to rip apart the roof, and you hear the... Right? As they're this, was a, 
This was a roof that they could walk on. It was, it was probably something like adobe. They had to break it up. It probably wouldn't have been as hard as concrete or anything like that, but it wasn't just a thatched roof. It was a flat roof. They, in those days, that's the way they built it. They would put a stairwell up the backside of the building, and, and they would make a flat roof so that in the evening, the cool of the evening, they would go up on the roof, and that's where they would hang out. No central air for those guys, right? So as they hear this, I wonder what happened. And then, you know, somebody goes, ow, right? As, as a, a, something falls from the ceiling and lands on their head. And now all of a sudden, everybody's not paying attention to Jesus anymore, or if, if, if he's even still talking, but they're looking at the roof. What is going on? And this wasn't just a momentary thing. This didn't take like three minutes and it was done. It probably took an hour or more to tear apart this roof. And four guys clawing and digging at it. What, what, living in that tension for a moment, what was, what was the crowd thinking? What is this interruption? I, wanted, I came here to hear Jesus. What was Jesus doing? Did he continue to teach? Did he have their attention? And then the, the beam of light shines through and the first hole opens and, and, and they see hands reaching through and tearing it apart. What is going on? Talk about a crazy church service, right? <laughs> Imagine that here, right? And as they tear the roof open, like I said, it would have taken a while to get this mat of five by three foot opening in this roof. And then the four guys, all right, let's lower him down. They tie ropes to the four corners of his mat and they lower him down. Jesus, probably smiling through it all, knowing what he can do. He lowers him and, and he looks up at the guys and he's smiling at them. This is awesome. And he looks at the paralytic. He says, son, your sins are forgiven you. I wonder what the guys said in that moment. The four guys still up on the roof. No, that's not why we brought him here, right? Jesus, you're the genie in the lamp. You're, You're the healer. You're the one that can fix this wrong. You can heal this paralytic. You said the wrong thing. What did the man on the mat say? I didn't come here to get my sins forgiven. I came here to be healed. What did the crowd say? Jesus, what are you talking about? Your sins are forgiven. That, what's the, what did the scribes say? Well, we know what they said. We, we get the insight. And they, and they don't actually say it out loud. They, they speak it in their heart, and yet Jesus has the perception to understand what's going on in these scribes' hearts. Who can forgive sins but God? And you know what? They're right. Yeah. There is no one that can forgive sins but God. Where they make their mistake is in thinking that Jesus isn't God. When in fact he is. And Jesus can forgive sins. But I appreciate what Jesus did in that moment. Because while he could have just simply said, Son, take up your bed and walk. And healed this one man. And we'd have a great story of a great miracle. He goes farther than that. And he answers the question that was in this man's heart, but not just this man, that was in everybody in that room's heart. Can I be forgiven? For the things that I've done wrong, can I, can I be washed and made clean? And when he answers and when he speaks to the, this young man, he says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't just take care of this one man. He takes care of the entire crowd. 
even the scribes, though they don't recognize it. And he answers the internal question that we all struggle with. Can I be forgiven? Can I be redeemed? Am I of enough value that Jesus, you would move? And Jesus says, yes, I am willing to be cleansed. Just like we saw the story last week at the end of chapter one, where Jesus heals the leper. And we, we love reading about leprosy in the Bible because it so easily relates to sin. And, and, and sin and leprosy are so much alike that we can kind of interchange those words. And as the leper comes and asks Jesus to be healed, he says to, the, he says to Jesus, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He expresses his faith. He, he says, if I'm of enough value, then, then will you make me clean? And Jesus replies, says, I am willing to be cleansed. And then we roll right into the story. Remember when they wrote the gospel of Mark, there was no chapter break. There were no verse breaks. This is one story right after another. We see the leper being cleansed and then Jesus proclaiming to everybody in the room, your sins can be forgiven. I want us to hear that today. I don't want anybody to leave this room doubting that Jesus has paid it all and you can in fact be forgiven. He knows the inner turmoil of the the scribes. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Why does he speak blasphemies? Through a word of knowledge, through the Holy Spirit speaking in his ear, he, he gets this information and he checks their heart. Why do you say this? Why are you worried about that? Maybe they weren't the only ones worried about that in the room, but the scribes certainly were. And then he, and then he demonstrates, you know, which is easier to say? Which is, which is easier for, to say? Son, your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk? You answer that question. What's easier to say? It's, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no measurement of that. We can't see if that's actually true until we're in the presence of the king. So it's easy to say it, and nobody will actually know if it's true or not. But he goes a step farther, and he says, in order to, to show that the Son of Man, the term that he likes to call himself, Jesus, in order that the Son of Man can, to show that he can forgive sins, I say to you, take up your bed and walk. The paralytic rises up. What a glorious miracle. How long had he been paralyzed? We don't know, right? Muscles atrophy. You know, if he had been laying on this mat for years, he, he, he wouldn't have the memory knowledge on how to walk. Jesus doesn't just heal the, 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 set the wrong right in his body. He gives him the muscle mass that he needs in order to support himself on his legs. He gives him the knowledge on how to walk, right? We had to teach ourselves how to walk. It took weeks, months, years, some of us. <laughs> Back when our heads were heavier than our bodies, right? (laughs) This man, in an instant, because of the power of Jesus, rises up, takes up his bed. How how easy would that have been, right? He takes up his mat, takes up his bed, and all of a sudden he's like, excuse me, oh, excuse me, excuse me, (laughs) right? He's trying to get through the crowd because he's trying to carry, it would have been easier to carry the bed or lift the bed back up through the hole that they had made, but that's not what they do. Jesus told me to take up my bed and walk. That's what I'm going to do. Praising God as he goes. So, if we all understand that, that Jesus can forgive sins, and like I said, most of us in this room have probably understood that for a long time, 
as you and I read the story, us seasoned Christians, if you would, what do we do with it? I mean, it's a great gospel story, and we should understand the gospel. It should be the center of our walk with Christ. It should be something that we revert back to every day. But as I read the story, and there are many different ways that we can look at this story, what I see for us as followers of Christ is an invitation to get uncomfortable. I think that's what Christ would be calling us to do in this moment. As we read this story, he's saying, get uncomfortable, Christian. Let's look at the different people involved in the story. The first, let's look at Peter and his wife. If this is Peter's house, right? The first time Jesus came, it was kind of a surprise. Jesus shows up. Peter's wife is like, what are you doing here? And why did you bring Jesus? And what are we going to feed Jesus? And blah, 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 blah. We don't know if that's the way it went down, but that's the way I like to envision it in my mind. The cat's in the dishwasher and, you know, stuff's underneath the rug and all kinds of, as they were trying to clean up. And then all of a sudden, 1,500 people show up on the lawn. And Peter and his wife are like, what is going on here? Right? And then Jesus leaves for a time. We don't know how long that time was. But I think the lawn may be starting to come back, right? The grass is unmatted any longer. And, and then... As Jesus rolls back into town, Peter and his wife have a choice to make. We, we could tell Jesus, hey, love your ministry. Go do it down the street. You know, find a public place to meet. If, we're, if everybody's going to be in town and in town's going to come to my house, go, go find somewhere else to do it. That's not what they do. Jesus, come on in. And yeah, I know you're bringing everybody with you. And they welcome them. They are willing to get uncomfortable. And then take it a step farther. Imagine Peter's wife as the, the, the hole opens in her roof. Right? How long is that going to take to fix? Right? <laughs> I don't think, I'm joking. I don't think that's the way Peter's wife was. And here's why I don't think that. Because we know by church history at the end of Peter's life, his wife was crucified in front of him. And then Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified the same way my Lord was, and he was crucified upside down. Peter stood by, or Peter's wife stood by Peter all those days. And so she saw what Jesus was doing, and she was willing to get uncomfortable to allow it to happen. Think about the crowd, the crowd's willingness to get uncomfortable, right? I don't know about you, but I'm never looking forward to a time where I can be shoulder to shoulder with a stranger. That's not, I don't get into that. I mean, there are certain things that will compel me to be willing to do that. Ohio State football tickets, you know, NF in concert, something like that. Then, then I'm willing to get shoulder to shoulder with somebody that just ate garlic and, and is stinking a little bit, you know. That's how the crowd felt. So I don't care how packed it is. I want to see Jesus. I want to see what he has to say. I want to see what he's going to do. And so I'm willing to press in and, yeah, and push, the, push the crowd forward. Yeah, push the crowd forward. There's more people trying to get in the back. I'm willing to get uncomfortable in order to be close to Jesus. Think about the paralytic. Whose idea was this? Was this the paralytic's idea to say, hey, um, why don't you guys grab me? And let's go to see Jesus, and maybe he can heal me. Was that his idea, or was it the four guys' idea? We don't know whose it was. But either way, he was willing to get uncomfortable 
Because how often have you seen a hospital bed rolling down the street? <laughs> That's not something you see every day. And if you did, it'd be weird. <laughs> You'd look at that, and, you, and the person in the bed would be like, yeah, yeah, right? It's, it's awkward when a, a, a bus shows up, an ambulance shows up, and you, you get put, put on a stretcher and have to be thrown into the ambulance. That, that's a, everybody's looking at me. Everybody's concerned about me. But the paralytic was willing to take that on, willing to get uncomfortable and allow people to look at him in, in the order that he might get closer to Jesus. Yeah, guys, carry me. What about the four guys? And I think this is our greatest example of getting uncomfortable, these four guys. They've got a friend who's a paralytic who's, who's been paralyzed for who knows how long, for life, maybe. And they hear Jesus rolls back into town. They could have just gone by themselves, left the paralytic at home. But they, they step out and they say, no, let's bring Bill with us, whatever his name was. And so they grab the four corners of the mat. They were walking with the hospital bed on the street. That would have been weird for them too. And then they get to the house. Excuse me. We'd like to get in. We'd like to bring this guy in to see Jesus. Excuse me. Pardon me. And everybody's going, no, I was here first. No, I'm not. No. No, we're not. There's no room. We don't have room to get you in there. Imagine the next conversation, right? All right, let's go home. I guess we'll try another day. That's not what happens. Somebody, one of the four guys is like, I got an idea. <laughs> Let's go up on the roof. Somebody's like, all right. And they, they take their uncomfortableness, that's a word, to the, their next level. And they march up the back stairs and they start to tear apart the roof. And for an hour, they know everybody under there is wondering what's going on. And they, you know, the first time they break through, they make eye contact with the crowd below. And the crowd's like, what are you doing? And they're like, we're trying to get our friend closer to Jesus. And they keep working and they keep tearing it apart. And they're willing to interrupt in order to get their friend closer to Jesus. Are you? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get your friend closer to Jesus? Are you willing to tear through a roof so that somebody might know the love that Jesus can forgive sin? as they lowered him down. That would have been awkward, right? What if, what if one person lowered faster than somebody else? <laughs> Paralytic can't brace himself for impact. <laughs> I mean, and they don't know what's going to happen. They're willing to take the risk to get their friend closer to Jesus. And so my invitation to you today is, let's get uncomfortable Let's get uncomfortable for Jesus. I think that's what he's calling us to. We talked last week about how we all applaud the person that has devoted their life to one thing. We, we gave the example of the Olympic athlete, right? They, they, they earn the gold medal because they have devoted their life to one thing. Michael Phelps, swimming, it his life. He ate, breathed, slept, swimming, rose up early in the morning to get in the pool, ate the right kind of nutrition, had, a, had his meals mapped out for four years, six, seven days a week, eight, nine, ten hours a day. He did one thing, he swam. And it was evident 
And he reaped the reward, and we, we got to see what it's like to devote themselves, when a person devotes himself to one thing. And then we, we tie that into looking at Jesus' life, how he devoted himself to just one thing, doing the will of the Father. And that's how when he was pulled back into the crowd there in Capernaum, and the, the disciples were trying to pull him in one direction, he was able to say, no, I've sought my Father this morning, I've got up early, and I know that he wants me to go this direction. And Jesus lived his life for one thing, doing the will of the Father. Well, it would be my understanding, if we wanted to devote ourselves to one thing, which I would recommend that you do, living for Christ, the very first step in devoting our lives to one thing is getting uncomfortable. The very first thing you do to devote your life to one thing is make a decision I'm willing to get uncomfortable, right? Michael Phelps didn't say, I want to win a gold medal, and so I'm just going to keep things the way they are. No, he set his alarm for 4.30 Monday morning and said, I'm going to get up and I'm going to make it to the pool before I have to go to work. And he did that for six or seven days a week. He got uncomfortable. He was willing to set aside his comfort in order to do what he had devoted himself to do. And that's what you and I need to do as well. Since I left um, working garage doors uh, about a year ago and have been full-time in the ministry, it's a little more cushy job, uh, a little more desk sitting, a little more video watching, a lot less movement. And I've put on quite a few pounds and um, my health hasn't been exactly good, uh, borderline diabetic. Uh, now, uh, and uh, fighting gout. And, and so I finally came to the realization I needed to do something about it. My friends, my family have been telling me for a while. It just took, I'm thick-headed, you know. So last week I called a friend who's a personal trainer. And I said, man, I know what I need to do. I just can't get myself to do it. I, I, I'm not, I need help. I need help. So starting next week, he and I are going to meet twice a week, and we're going to, he's going to work me out, and he's going to look at my food log, and, what I'm, and, and so hopefully six months from now, a year from now, I'm back in a better shape. You know, my sugar's come down, and the gout's gone, and, and I'm eating more healthy. I've got more energy. I, that's the end goal. That's where I want to be, but I, the first thing I need to do is get uncomfortable. I had to reach out to somebody and say, I can't do this on my own. I need help. That wasn't comfortable for me. It's not going to be comfortable next week after my first workout. <laughs> Advil will be my friend. What did you have for lunch today? Advil. <laughs> but if I want to be there in a year, this is the first step I have to take today. And it's the same for you and I as well. If we want to... We want to see people come to Christ, and that is the goal of all of us who live for Christ. We've been given the commission, the great commission, that we go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that, it, uh, that Jesus has commanded. That's our, our mission in life. If we want to get there, the first step is I'm, I'm willing to get uncomfortable. And I'll go talk to that friend at work. Or I'll take a bowl of soup over to my neighbor when he's sick and love him, even though I don't like him. Or I'll teach a Bible study 
or I'll grab somebody that needs disciples and I'll give up my Tuesday morning breakfast so that I can meet with this guy. It's a willingness for you and I to get uncomfortable to embrace the Great Commission. It's called Living 860, our mission. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 60, it says, So that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. That's our goal, that all the people of the earth, we want everybody to know, even those men that blew up Paris this week. We want them to know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Well, in order to do that, you have to get uncomfortable. Take that first step. That's my encouragement. You know the gospel? Then today make a step to say, I'm willing to get uncomfortable for him. Because if we don't, and we hold that message, and we don't share the gospel, there's eternal repercussions for that. Men and women who may spend eternity separated from their father. I'm compelled, always compelled by Charles Spurgeon, but this particular quote, I actually have it written on my wall in my office. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. In order to do that, we got to get uncomfortable. Amen? Amen. May we move forward in His grace and His mercy. May we all recognize Jesus can forgive sins. Let's stand, let's close in prayer. If today's the first day that you've heard that Jesus can forgive sins, and you want to talk about that, maybe you want to step into a saving faith, my encouragement would be step forward, not at this moment, but when we're done with the service, there'll be some men and women up here who'd love to talk with you and pray with you. Uh, Don't be bashful. We're not going to laugh at you. Be willing to take that step that you might spend eternity with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, thank you and praise you for this day. For the heart that doesn't yet know that they're in need of a Savior, I pray that you would remove the veil and that their eyes would be open, that they would take a step of faith, confessing you as Savior and Lord, that they would live out their days for you. For those that do know that and have walked in that for a season, Lord, or for a lifetime, I pray that you would empower us to get uncomfortable for you. Lord, this world is all about comfort. And your kingdom is all about battling that, that others might come to know you. I pray that you would press upon our hearts a burden to seek and to save the lost, to share the gospel, the good news of Christ, with our friends and with our family, with our coworkers with our neighbors. Lord, whatever you would have us do, that we would, like David, say, I'll become more undignified than this for you, Lord. Whatever you would have of us, may I pray pray we would display our love in that way. Go, Go with us from this place. May we honor you with our lives as we serve our King. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless. Thank you.